Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and my prayers to the football gods were answered as Wildcard Weekend delivered an unbelievable product with three games decided by a touchdown or less, and it's so far a huge upgrade over last year's playoffs where only two games, not including the Super Bowl, were decided uh, by such a margin, and I certainly hope the divisional round, which is usually the most exciting weekend on the NFL calendar, brings us some more heart-palpitating finishes. And to help us break down this weekend's games and the NFL's Elite Eight, it is a pleasure to bring back once again our good friend Hal Bent, who covers the NFL and the Patriots for Scout Media, MusketFire.com, and Cover32.com. What's up, Hal? Wasn't last week an amazing week of football or what? Oh, it was fantastic, David. Your prayers to the football gods were answered, and, and we were just treated to a joy with four amazingly entertaining games um, and, and great finishes. It was it was everything we could have hoped for for a wild card weekend. Absolutely, and followed that up with one of the best college football national championships of all time. That, that that'll be talked about uh, with Alabama uh, on the heels of a freshman quarterback who hasn't taken a snap all season. On in the most unlikely way, beating Georgia. It was just a. Uh, one of the most amazing sports stories of the season, even if you're not a Crimson Tide fan, which I'm obviously not. That was a great game. I spent most of, I, I spent the last hour of it going, oh, my God, can you can we end this so I can go to sleep? I'm tired. I have to work tomorrow. And I just couldn't tear myself away from the television. <laughs> it was just yeah. fantastic. Yes. And uh, the toughness of Tua Tagovailoa was something to behold. And I definitely hope he keeps this up and plays himself to a legendary career in the National Football League. But uh, all of that aside, let's talk about divisional round weekend. And as I obviously alluded to, uh, my prayers uh, last week were answered. And I pray even harder again, because uh, to some people, uh, this slate of divisional games might be less entertaining than wild card round is this slate of games more or less entertaining and interesting than wild card round and why oh no i i think these games are very very entertaining you've got tennessee who nobody picked to be anywhere near this round of games um new orleans minnesota you've got the immovable object meeting the unstoppable force what a great matchup that is pittsburgh and jacksonville in a rematch where jacksonville upset the Steelers at home 30 to nine in week five. That's a fantastic game on the slate. And of course the Atlanta Falcons a month ago, who could see Atlanta making this run? And now they're going up as a number six seed as the favorite on the road against the number one seed. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. We have not. And that's why I am hopeful that the divisional round will exceed the expectations of some and be equally, if not more entertaining and heart palpitating as wildcard weekend was. And let's talk about this Falcons Eagles matchup, which will kick off divisional round weekend uh, tomorrow from uh, Lincoln financial field in the city of brotherly love. And as you said, despite losing Carson Wentz and finishing the season poorly on offense and being, uh, um, forgive me if I'm wrong, the first number one seed, to ever be an underdog at home in the history of a uh, Vegas betting, uh, the Eagles feel disrespected being the underdog. How do you feel about the Eagles' chances of pulling off the upset against the Falcons tomorrow? Well, I I think it's ridiculous that they are an underdog. I'm not a big Nick Foles fan, but that defense that they have and that power running offense that they can pull out, they are going to be with a week off. They're rested. 
they're healthy, they've got their game plan in place. It's not going to be a cakewalk for the defending NFC champions going on the road in Philadelphia. It definitely is not. I completely agree. But the Eagles' uh, chances of winning could come down to the arm of Nick Foles. And Nick Foles looked pretty good in Week 15. But as I alluded to, he finished the regular season with an absolute dud. So how well does Nick Foles have to play tomorrow? And how should the Eagles game plan in order to help him succeed? Well, if I'm the Eagles, I'm calling up um, Jacksonville and getting that game plan because you're going <laughs> to, I mean, you want to go in there and you want to say, we're going to go on the legs of Jay Ajayi, Wendell Smallwood, LeGarrette Blunt. Those three guys are going to carry us on offense. And then our defense, we've got what, if I'm Philadelphia, I'm feeling very good with my defensive front going up against Atlanta's offensive line. And there's a chance that Philadelphia could really stymie that Atlanta offense, which has been high flying these past couple of weeks. I definitely agree with that. But the bigger point I was trying to make was how do the Eagles game plan to help Nick Foles succeed in the passing game? Because the Eagles can't run it on every play. And how can they make Foles be more effective throwing the football? Protecting him is always the first and foremost and then it's going to get the game planning. They're going to have to somehow get Torrey Smith open downfield, or Alshon Jeffrey is going to have to take over this game outside the numbers. And that's a difficult matchup because Atlanta has the cornerbacks and Robert Alford, who's been playing fantastic the past couple of weeks, and Desmond Trufant, who has, has bounced back from an injury-filled year last year to be a legitimate number one. So it's going to be the Alshon Jeffrey show is the way I see it, that get him involved early, feed him the ball, pick up those key first downs on third and six outside the numbers. And that's where Nick Foles is going to be accurate and get the ball in a tight window to Alshon Jeffrey. And also don't forget Zach Ertz. I think they have to find ways to get Zach Ertz the ball as well, because I think he could arguably be Nick Foles' best friend. That's a great point. And, you know, tight ends in the passing game, you know, we seem to see it every week that there's one that's stepping up and having a big game. Travis Kelsey, before he got hurt last week, you know, you know, the Patriots are going to bring Rob Gronkowski out into that role this week as well. So great point, Philadelphia, if they can get that tight end in the game, that's going to give them a, a good matchup with Atlanta where Ertz can use his size against some of these smaller and faster defenders for the Falcons. Absolutely. And the Falcons, speaking of that defense, they have absolutely hit their stride defensively, holding their last six opponents, five of them against 2017 playoff teams, to under 17 points per game on average. Last week, they showed promise on offense, unlike that they any they showed during the regular season. Do you think they're hitting a similar stride offensively, or was Wildcard Weekend a mirage? You know, they've been up and down all season long. And, you know, Early in the season, everybody said, well, maybe it's the Super Bowl hangover, but you would see they'd have a good stretch in the middle of the season, two or three games, and then all of a sudden they'd crash back down to earth. And, you know, for for Atlanta, it, you're kind of flipping a coin at this point because you're really not, you can't, they haven't been consistent all season. And if you're going to say they're going to continue to be consistent, then they're either riding a hot streak or it's a matter of, 
you know, we, we're just flipping a coin and guessing here because they've just, the consistency has been the inconsistency this year for the Falcons. Most certainly has. And especially when you're looking at this game, because that Eagles defense, as you said, is going to be no picnic. And the Falcons' strength on offense is obviously the running game with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And But this Eagles defensive front four is a, is a borderline brick wall. How can the Falcons find success offensively on Saturday if the Eagles successfully take away the run and force them to play left-handed? Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting Philadelphia to take them away. I, I looked at the, the Falcons on tape the last couple of weeks, and, and there were two names that jumped out on me, Ben Garland and Wes Schweitzer. Yes. Those, are the, those are the guards for the Falcons who are going to be seeing a lot of Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan. Brandon Graham even coming inside on passing downs. And that's a huge advantage for the Eagles. So to get that running game going against the Eagles, they're going to have to get creative in Atlanta. Maybe establish the passing game early. Try to get Matt Ryan Hutt, feed Julio Jones, and then spread them out and run the football in passing formations. Attack the edges of the Eagles' defense. See if you can get those defensive ends coming upfield and not holding the edge and be able to get those running backs at Tevin Coleman outside the outside on the numbers and up on the sideline. And that's a way that they can get creative and attack that aggressive Eagles defense because pounding the ball up the middle just hasn't worked all season long for anybody against Philadelphia. You said it, but another uh, way that the Falcons, in my opinion, need to involve Freeman and Coleman is in the passing game to get them out in space on short passes out of the backfield, because you're not going to be able to run up the gut against uh, Fletcher Cox and Timmy Jernigan and this beastly Eagles front four, but their linebackers who have been decimated by injury all season. I think that that's the weak point of their defense. Get them out in space through short passes, uh, about four five, six yards out of the backfield and eat up yardage that way to uh, mitigate the pass rush and still involve the playmaking of uh, Freeman and Coleman. Uh, uh, do you think the Falcons should include that in their game plan? That's a great point, David. I mean, you look at the Eagles and the linebacker who's likely stepping into that role is Nigel Bradham. Bradham. Um, I watched Bradham play for the Bills for a couple of years, and that's exactly what the Patriots did to him. It was isolating him out in space against those shifty running backs in the passing game. And ask anybody in Buffalo, those Patriots game plans on offense seem to work against them year after year. So that's definitely a way that they can uh, go back and attack that uh, Eagles defense. That's a great point. And who do you think prevails tomorrow in the city of brotherly love and why? Well, I, I look at the matchups and I look at that, that defense for Philadelphia. And I, I think they've got enough power in the trenches, both on the defensive side and on the offensive line to be able to control that line of scrimmage. If they can slow the Atlanta run, if they can run the ball, get a couple of big runs out of Jay Ajayi, I think they should mitigate the Nick Foles situation at quarterback. And I see Philadelphia pulling out a very close game with a 20-16 to win.
Good minds think alike. That's exactly what I have this game as. I have it as a 2016 Eagles victory, although I do not think the Eagles are good enough to make it to the Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. They are definitely good enough to win against the Falcons, a team that has been inconsistent all year in an ugly, low-scoring game. I like the Eagles 20-16 to as well. And moving on to the biggest mismatch of the week, the Tennessee Titans off that amazing comfort-behind victory uh, traveling to your backyard to take on the defending champion Patriots. And I personally don't think the Titans even have a chance. It's kind of like the mismatch last year in the division round when the Patriots hosted Brock Osweiler and the Texans. But how much of a chance do you think the Titans have of shocking the world? And what are three ways that they can prevail on Saturday? Well, I don't think it's a great chance, but they have to take the shackles off of Marcus Mariota in order to be able to win this game. To defeat the Patriots in the playoffs, you have to win the turnover battle first and foremost. If you go back to the one of the, the most shocking Patriots upset loss in the playoffs with Rex Ryan as a rookie coach with the Jets in the divisional round where the Patriots finished 14-2 and two, uh, after the 2010 season, uh, had already beat the Jets 45-3 to in the regular season. That was as big a mismatch as this one is. And the Jets came out and won the game. And a big part of that was they forced turnovers for the Patriots. Patriots have had 12 turnovers in 16 games this season. So it's not an easy thing to do. But you have to make your opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities. That's number one. The second thing is this is a Dick LeBeau defense. Everybody knows Dick LeBeau loves to blitz. You can't blitz Tom Brady. No, you can't. You, you, I mean, teams have done it time and time again, and you just cannot blitz him and expect to win. So they're going to have to shift up the defensive game plan. Um, you know, we saw the Steelers earlier in the season as well back off on the blitzes on Brady, uh, play more man coverage, and that's a great plan if you're going to play more man coverage on the Patriots. But the problem is, is when you're playing man, then you're manning up Rob Gronkowski, which is very difficult for any person to do, um, <laughs> trying to cover him one-on-one. -on -one. So there's got to be some creative concepts coming out of that Tennessee defense in order to give Brady some looks he hasn't seen and back off on the blitzing. And then finally on offense, everything that you've heard has been talking about the, the, the running the ball, you know, bringing in that exotic smash mouth offense, as they call it in Tennessee. And I'm going to tell you, that's the exact wrong thing to do to beat New England. To beat New England, you've got to outscore them. To score, you've got to throw the ball. And their pass defense has been much better in New England. But again, if you're going to win, you're going to win it from the pocket. And Tennessee has a quarterback in Marcus Mariota where when they were forced to make changes in the second half against Kansas City last week, and they took some of the shackles off of the offense. They let Mariota pump up the tempo of the offense. They went to the three-wide receiver set. Shockingly, the offense looked the best it had all season in the second half, and that even gave the running game a boost, which hadn't been able to run well in the first half, only 42 yards from Derrick Henry, and he ended up finishing with 156 as they were running out of the passing downs running out of the up-tempo offense, and that changed the whole basis of the offense for the Titans. So those are the three things that I'm going to be looking at for if they're going to pull an upset, start with the turnovers, don't blitz Brady, and pass the football.
Much easier said than done for the Tennessee Titans there. And now let's focus on the Patriots, especially with their performance uh, down the stretch of the regular season. Um, Were the Patriots to some degree playing it safe offensively during that final quarter of the regular season in order to keep everybody healthy? And if so, should we expect them to be aggressive and try to put the game away early, especially against a drastically inferior opponent in the Titans? Yes. I mean, the Patriots were hamstrung in that last quarter of the season. Um, They were missing James White, their Super Bowl should have been MVP at running back, who plays such a key role in the passing game. They were missing wide receiver Chris Hogan. They were missing running back Rex Burkhead. And that really changed the whole structure of that offense. Um, Without Julian Edelman this year, people wondered what Tom Brady was going to do to pick up the first downs to extend drives. And in the first half of the season, that person was wide receiver Chris Hogan, who filled that role. And the Patriots were in the top five in third down conversions. But after Hogan got hurt, that's when they started struggling that Miami game in week 14 where they went 0 for 11 on third downs. Chris Hogan was playing injured, wasn't himself, was targeted, I think, once or twice the entire game. And you saw the effect that had on the offense. So being able to get these guys out on the field should make a huge difference for the Patriots passing game. And I would expect them to be very aggressive uh, moving the ball through the air, especially in the first half against the Titans on, on Saturday night. Very, very excellent points there, Hal. And now let's focus on the defensive side of the ball for the Patriots. And their pass rush was obviously their biggest weakness all season long. And do you think the Titans can potentially exploit it through the play-action game and attacking downfield? And in addition, how much will the addition of James Harrison help the Patriots in this department? Well, Harrison, I think anything they get it from him in the pass rush is a bonus. I think his biggest strength is going to be in the running, in the run defense, setting the edge and giving them that big body on the outside with that veteran savvy that they've missed without Rob Ninkovich this year after he surprisingly retired after the Super Bowl last year. Um, as as far as getting downfield, that's exactly what Tennessee's going to have to do. They need to suck up those linebackers and especially the safeties as well. Um, they've got rookie Corey Davis, who hadn't had a big impact this year, but was the number five overall pick in the draft. He's got to be able to get behind the defense. Um, Eric Decker, somebody would still, even though he's aging, has got that sneaky quickness downfield as well. And Rashad Matthews on the outside. So definitely... Tennessee, big plays, taking shots downfield off of the the play action has got to be a big part of that offensive game plan. Absolutely got to get everybody involved in that passing game to pull off arguably the upset of the century if that were to happen. But uh, I personally don't see that happening. And do you? No, I don't. I, I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's a good matchup for Tennessee against New England. Um, You know, the Patriots have the secondary that's played so much better in the last 10 weeks of the season to be able to take away those Tennessee wide receivers and somebody that doesn't get a lot of attention but has done a great job this year, especially in the second half, is strong safety Patrick Chung, who will likely be tasked with stopping Delaney Walker, who as a tight end is the number one target of Tennessee's Marcus Mariota. And if Patrick Chung can continue his strong play of shutting down tight ends, it could be a long day for the Titans. Yeah, and especially if they take that run game away, it's going to be a long day as well. And I 
think the Patriots actually annihilate the Titans by a score of, let's say, 34 to 17. Pretty close to mine. I have it at 27 to 13, but this game could get out of hand in a hurry, especially in the second half, if the Patriots are able to build up that lead. Or as early as the first quarter, knowing how Tom Brady functions in the playoffs. And now from New England to Pittsburgh, let's focus on that second of two AFC Divisional Round matchups as the Steelers once again host the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that humiliated them at home earlier in the year. Uh, The elephant in the room of this game right now is Antonio Brown. Uh, He is listed as questionable as he was sent home today from practice with an illness. And although I personally still expect Antonio Brown to play, will the Steelers be able to attack the stout Jaguar secondary through the air without Antonio Brown or with a sub-100% Antonio Brown? I think they'll definitely try whether they'll be successful. Well, who has been against Jacksonville? But yes, they they cannot afford any illness for Antonio Brown. They better be pumping him full of IV fluids and uh, Tylenol and getting him ready to play on Sunday because they need Bell, they need Brown, they need Roethlisberger, all three on the top of their game if they're going to put up enough points to win against this strong Jacksonville defense and especially that secondary. How different of a Steelers team is this from the team that got, as I alluded to, embarrassed by the Jaguars at home at Heinz Field uh, earlier in the year? Well, it the, the biggest difference for me is the growth of Juju Smith-Schuster at, at wide receiver. In that game, Antonio Brown, yes, he had 10 receptions for 157 yards, but it took him 19 targets to get that. And the the Steelers just did not have any option other than Bell or Brown that Roethlisberger trusted to try to get the ball to. And we've seen the growth of Smith-Schuster. We've seen tight end Jesse James involved in the offense more as well. And even Martavis Bryant has started carving out a role as well. So But if they can get solid production out of that second wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, and he continues that strong play of his in the second half, that is a huge key for the Steelers in, in being able to reverse what happened earlier in the season against Jacksonville. It most certainly is. And when you look at the Jaguars, despite their victory last week, most of the rushing yardage came from the legs of Blake Bortles and not Leonard Fournette. Heck, Bortles had more yards on the ground by his legs than he did through the air. But obviously, since that devastating injury to Ryan Chazier, who we should expect the Steelers to play all out for, the Steelers' run defense regressed. And does Shazier's absence give the Jags a better opportunity to get Fournette going, or do you think the Steelers will be able to game plan in order to stop the run due to Bortles' limitations? Well, I mean, the Jaguars didn't change much from that plan the first time that they played. Um, Fournette did finish with 181 yards. There was a 90-yard touchdown running garbage time, but Blake Bortles was 8 for 14 for 95 yards, no touchdowns. And Jacksonville, on the strength of those five interceptions and two pick sixes, were able to put up those 30 points and embarrass the Steelers. So I don't see them straying far from that game plan. I don't think they're going to make portals throw too much. And for the Steelers, I mean, you know the Steelers. They're going to run out that same defense every week with nary a a wrinkle in that and say – You take your shot, we're going to take our shot here and see how they line up 
and see if that Steelers defense, which did finish in the top 10 in fewest yards allowed rushing, um, see how they do against Leonard Fournette on take two here. Yes, and that will be crucial for the Jaguars' chances of pulling off the upset because I don't think they can rely on getting two pick sixes this time around. They're going to need a lot more from their offense. And do you think the Jaguars get enough from their offense to pull out a win? I do. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be ugly. But, you know, um, the two keys that I saw that jumped out on me is going to be in this game, third down and in the red zone. Jacksonville has one of the best red zone defenses in the NFL. The Steelers were just average in the red zone in converting into touchdowns. So, and then on offense, the Jaguars were surprisingly the second best team in the NFL in converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns, largely because of Leonard Fournette. But, and the Steelers defense, again, bottom of the pack in that regards as well. So it's going to be very interesting watching these teams Um, whether they can get Pittsburgh off the field on third down, whether Pittsburgh can get in the red zone, do they convert that into touchdowns? Because if they start kicking field goals and they start having three and outs early in the game, it could be a long game for the Steelers. And I think Jacksonville is going to do just enough to pull out a 21 to 16 win on the road. Ooh, very interesting there, Hal. The Jaguars do have a chance given that defense, but I just don't see them getting those two pick sixes and they're going to need a lot more from their offense and based on how Bortles looked last week I just don't see it and as long as the Steelers take the run away and force Bortles to beat them through the air I think the Steelers should win this game and I originally had it as a 27 to 10 Steelers victory but given Antonio Brown's uh, iffiness heading into the game I will say the Steelers win by 10 20 to 10. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. He covers the NFL and the New England Patriots for musketfire.com, scout, th- scout media, and cover32.com. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. And Hal, thank you so much once again for joining us to preview yet another exciting weekend of football. But before we go, we got to preview arguably the most exciting game of divisional round week the Saints traveling to the location of Super Bowl 52, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And everybody is going to point to Drew Brees and his heroics last week, and rightfully so, but you got to be concerned about the Saints' defense. The last two games, they have surrendered a combined 57 points and over 400 total yards of offense on average. How concerned should the Saints be about their defense against this Vikings offense, and how different is the Saints' defense from the unit that got shredded by Sam Bradford in Week 1? Well, I mean, we've seen the defense for the um, New Orleans, like you said, got shredded by Bradford, got shredded by Brady in the first two games to open up the season. And where most people said, well, this is, you know, Saints is normal. It was a big turnaround. They seem to have, you know, straightened everything out. The, The great play in the secondary for the Saints has really stood out. And again, you know, having a letdown in week 17 against Tampa Bay. Well, you can kind of shrug that off, but the Carolina Panthers were able to go up and down the field on them as well. And they've got to first get their priorities in order in new Orleans. First things first, make Minnesota one dimensional. You know, are you going to try to stop the run or are you going to load up in the secondary and try to slow down Diggs and Adam Thielen? That's going to be what they've got to figure out in new Orleans in the game plan this week. They most certainly do. And how concerned should you be about the Saints defense? 
they still have Marshawn Lattimore. They still have Ken Crawley, who are playing at a high level. So as always with New Orleans, it's a matter of where do they get the pressure? They don't need to make, they don't need to have five or six sacks each game, but they need to get pressure, collapse the pocket, make the quarterbacks uncomfortable, and they need somebody other than Cameron Jordan to be able to step up and find a way to do that. And that's going to be their key on Sunday afternoon is finding that other, however they do that, whether it's blitzing, whether it's, you know, uh, somebody on that defensive line stepping up and getting consistent pressure in order to make an impact and help out Cameron Jordan and get those opposing offenses uncomfortable. Because when they're able to do that, that's when the defense steps it up another level in New Orleans. You said it, and last week we saw, especially on that final drive, Dennis Allen cooking up a lot of blitzes that succeeded and fooled Cam Newton, and that was uh, all she wrote. And he's probably going to have another tricks up his sleeve, similar tricks this week to get at Case Keenum. And But the reason, biggest reason why the Saints won last week, you could say, was that they overcame an absent ground attack. And that ground attack with Mark Ingram and Alan Kamara has been their forte on offense this year. And they overcame it with... Drew Brees, and Brees was showing you the Hall of Famer he was uh, and is last week by absolutely shredding that Panthers defense despite having his run game taken away from him. But this week he goes up against an even more difficult test in that in a Vikings defense that is not only capable of taking that run game away, but has an infinitely stouter secondary than the Panthers. Can Drew Brees and the Saints aerial attack be counted on again to deliver against that South Vikings secondary with Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith, Terrence Newman, uh, Trey Waynes, you name it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to have to be. that. That's where the Saints are going to have to get their yards against Minnesota. I mean, that defensive front is just too difficult to run on. He doesn't get a lot of press, but Linval Joseph is a beast in the middle of that defensive line for Minnesota, and he just occupies the blockers and just makes it so much easier for the Danielle Hunters, Evanson Griffins, Eric Kendricks at middle linebacker to come in and clean it up and take away any of those explosive runs that have been such a big part of the Saints, Saints offense. So, yes, they're going to have to find some kind of outlet, some kind of whether it's the running backs coming out of the backfield, whether it's getting the tight ends involved in New Orleans um, and not just lean on Michael Thomas like they did last week and occasionally a big play from Ted Ginn because, as you said, this Minnesota defense is just too strong and I don't see – you know, Michael Thomas winning a lot of one-on-one matchups against Xavier Rhodes. Plus, they're going to have that loud crowd noise to their advantage on Sunday. And with the yellow horn blowing, (laughs) 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 yep, that if you think the Superdome is an intimidating environment for visiting teams, it is. U.S. Bank Stadium is an intimidating environment for visiting teams. And that will definitely help the Vikings in their quest to bring it home, as they say, on Sunday. But There are two variables that you cannot quantify that I think will determine the outcome of what will be a very close game between the Saints and the Vikings. What do you think will play a bigger role? Case Keenum's inexperience or the Saints' recent defensive troubles? Well, I'm counting in mine as Case Keenum. I mean, right now we're talking about his first career playoff star, which is so rare um, to see. And, you know, 
the the line right now is you know the quarterbacks with experience and the quarterbacks without experience in the postseason and really how much of a difference is that going to make you know you've got the Tom Brady's the Ben Roethlisberger's the Drew Brees been there done that have the Super Bowl titles in the, in hand the Matt Ryan who's been there um, shook off a you know slow start in the postseason in his career but has really come on and then. Blake Bortles, you know, we saw the first game. Marcus Mariota, you know, one game of experience. Case Keenum's first game. Nick Foles only has one game as well. So it's a it's a very interesting dynamic where there's so much experience versus so little experience um, that you usually don't see. And it seems to be even up in every game here, one with, one without, which just makes it such, so fascinating here. But, I mean... I, I, I keep looking at Case Keenum. He's been doing it all year and proving me wrong, but I just still don't trust him to be anything more than a game manager, and I think he's going to have to do more against New Orleans um, and make some throws in tight windows and tight coverage, and sometimes that's hard for quarterbacks to realize that in the playoffs, you know, the officials aren't calling the pass interference and the holding as tightly. They're going to let them play a little more, and those windows to force the ball in get smaller. And if they hesitate, that's when the pass rush gets you. And that's sometimes why inexperienced quarterbacks struggle so much in the in their first go-round in the postseason. How likely do you think that this game could be the de facto NFC championship game, meaning the winner of this game uh, eventually moves on to the Super Bowl? Oh, I definitely think that that's a great chance. I think Minnesota, um, you know, should be favored over Philadelphia if they win and Philadelphia comes. Um, Same with Atlanta as well. And I think New Orleans would be the favorite over both as well. you know, even going on the road in Philadelphia or hosting Atlanta. So, yes, this is, uh, I have this game pegged exactly that way as whoever wins this one is my pick to go to the Super Bowl. And who will that team be? Oh, I went back and forth four times because, you know, I love Mike Zimmer as a coach in Minnesota. Um, you know, he's just been such a great defensive coordinator when he was in Dallas and then with Cincinnati. Um, and, you know, I, I really, really would love to see Drew Brees in another Super Bowl. I think that would make such a great national story and, and build up excitement for that game. And I, I went back and forth about three or four times and I said, well, what if this game comes down to the end? Is the kicker going to be able to make that kick to win the game? And I looked at Kai Forbath and I said, nah, he misses it. I'm going to take the Saints 20 to 19 over the Vikings. Oh, God, uh, you're bringing back, back <laughs> bad memories of the Gary Anderson game. Please, Hal, that, that was a, such a heartbreaking game. Vikings fans, I sure hope and pray to God that they do not suffer a similar fate this time around. It would be a great story if the Vikings beca- become the first team to play a Super Bowl on their home field. But I'm going to have to agree with you, although it's not going to happen in that fashion. Uh, I just think that the big difference will be Drew Brees over Case Keenum and what will be a very competitive game up until the final seconds and the Saints winning it on a last second field goal by a final score of 23 to 20. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. 
crime. Be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is K-R-U-N-C-H. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal Bent. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, enjoy Divisional Round Weekend, and of course, stay awesome.